Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Lindsay Morgan, fuck you, Liam, what the fuck? <laughs> and Mitch. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> And uh, we're we're in uncharted territory. We're very lucky. We're we are uh, honored to have a very special guest on this episode. We uh, you see the title, you know what we've been talking about. But um, not only are we talking about skylines today, we have the writer and director of the movie, Liam O'Donnell, on the show. Hello, Liam. Hey guys, happy to be here. And uh, yeah, the moment I heard her say that, I was like, oh, I got the ending of the blooper reel right there. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. Uh, it is both- so charming. I love it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so anybody listening who's been keeping up, we did do Beyond Skyline just a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, frankly, I know Liam, you're here, so we'll figure out this whole which Liam we're talking to thing as we go. But um, uh, I- I'll speak for all of us, but I think we were really pleasantly surprised i hate to say surprised as if our expectations were low but like we were all really big fans of beyond skyline uh as far as i understand it so we were really excited to get back in and then obviously you know we we were lucky enough to have a way to get in touch so it's great to have you on we're really stoked and um yeah i actually you know what may as well start because this is something that i thought was just great how did you end up why are there why'd you put outtakes at the credits (laughs) how did that movies don't do that anymore (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a it's a we, it's a funny thing. I think it was so Beyond Skyline is just a really weird story in general, but it went on forever because I, I'm making it with the visual effects company and they own the movie. Um the 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 guys who directed the first one. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like and I also worked for them at the time as an employee. So there's a lot of strange tension and roles and stuff there but i would basically just be waiting for them to do visual effects and there's nothing i could do about it um and so you know we're still waiting for shots and we're like okay let's um you know we we had seen all these funny outtakes constantly while we were editing it and uh and so we started working on that um chad van horn who was uh the the vfx editor um you know the other editors had left at that point and so we started kind of putting this thing together and and just having fun with it. And it ended up being so funny that we were like, let's try it as the as the end credit, you know. And it was a little bit of because I, I even knew just from the memory of having it that like, oh, Frank had like broke fourth wall there. That's like a kind of, you know, people forget that the end of Predator just has all the guys laughing to camera like it's a, like a sitcom. Yeah. And I, I always loved it because it, it kind of, I, I don't know, I grew up, I had an older brother who was an actor. Like, I like it when the actors come out at the end of the play and, you know, do their bow and you see who gets the most amount of applause. And so th- it didn't seem that strange to me, even though <laughs> it seemed to a lot of people that it was like, wow. And then I realized it was like, it, it was just so funny that it, how could you not include it? So once we started kind of putting that into the edit, um, people really, you know, responded to it and it, and it stuck all the way through, uh, for the rest of post. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have started at the end, but I do think that's a great anecdote to start with. What I realize I should, I should ask is just, you know, for anybody who maybe hasn't seen skylines or beyond skyline, first of all, I don't know how they got here, but if they are, um, what, what should people know about you? What's a quick rundown of, uh, Liam O'Donnell, like sort of how you got started maybe, or, um, stuff that you've been working on, whatever you want to 
Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the quick rundown would be I just kind of came out to LA right out of college. I went to Boston University. I was like a political science major. I thought I was going to go into entertainment law, but I had been taking screenwriting courses and communication writing courses while I was there. And like everybody, I, I wanted to do it, but I, I wasn't really sure how. Um, and I moved out with uh, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, from RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. He was very talented, motion graphic and logo and he ended up becoming a visual effects guy and so the two of us kind of networking we ended up meeting um the brother strauss and their company hydraulics you know about six months into when we moved out here and they were a unique place because they were doing visual effects for a lot of big movies and stuff in a boutique they're like a mid-sized boutique about 100 people but they were also you know, commercial directors and music video directors. So they would have this extra work, you know, in, 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 they're trying to get all these shows done. And then you get these boards or these songs for music videos or treatments, and they need help on that. And um, so we kind of fell into that as both of us were kind of working on their treatments for whatever the upcoming job was for them as directors. Um, so it was a really great landing spot for me. And, um, and we, we quickly, you know, landed some gigs for them. And then got to be on set and uh, just kind of tag along. And so uh, I think about six months after that, um, AVP2 came across their desk and um, I worked on that pitch with uh, with Matthew Santoros, my friend that I moved out with, and and uh, and obviously Greg and Colin Strauss. And we did that for a couple months and they ended up getting the job. And then they were like, you know, you've been kind of instrumental throughout this process. We want you to come up on set and, you know, be a consultant. So, uh, and I was a huge aliens and predator nerd. Um, so it, it was a perfect first gig that actually feel like, you know, I don't, I'm 24. I don't really know anything, but I, I, I felt like an expert in these franchises. So that gave you this, uh, you already have a lot of confidence when you're that age. And so I was very confident in like what made sense. And, uh, it was a frustrating, process because Fox was just a very strange place at the time. And um, I was kind of saying how that that movie to then the next year is Iron Man. And it, it sort of changed the way studios made things for genre, you know, geek audiences. They, they up until that point, there was a lot of even in even in the really good ones, like the, the old X-Men movies and stuff, they still kind of had this attitude that they knew better and that you just like, you just shut up and take what we give you. And then I felt like, you know, Iron Man was like this switch to be like, why don't we do what people want <laughs> to see? <laughs> what, what a concept, right? <laughs> what, what a concept. Let's actually do what they want us to do. And, um, and, and so what, you know, I understand people's complaints about the MCU now, but I, I, being a little bit older, I'm like, you guys don't really remember like Fox's Fantastic Four, do you? Like that was, you know, that was a whole different world where they'd just be like, this, we know better. This is what you guys want, right? A sitcom right. with them. And um, so anyway, long story short, that was sort of um, a great, a great first gig to get on and uh, meet a bunch of different people and see how creature films are made. And um, from there, we ended up kind of, okay, let's, let's do something ourselves that we can own and, and uh, control and that became the first skyline which is very low budget that the budget kept growing because uh sort of a a victim of its own success 
uh, with foreign sales and, uh, and then getting distributed by um, universal relativity. And so that ended up uh, getting this pretty big release, probably too big as, uh, as <laughs> it, it kind of, we, we were selling this thing like it was, it was a small movie with a secret, like that it's secretly huge. And then all the advertising was like, this is Independence Day too. And we're like, whoa, you know, they're in the, they're in a penthouse for the whole movie. Um, right. Uh, but, you know, if, if they didn't market it that way and they didn't spend all that stuff, there's no way we would have had uh, the worldwide box office to, to launch these sequels off of. So it's all sort of, um, you know, it's all, it's all sort of a, a grateful that it all happened at all, to be honest with you. And then um, so that one came out critically derided. Uh, audiences did not respond. Uh, there's things about it that are are pretty cool and unique and i think it's aged better than at the time because again the marketing was telling everybody this is like you know war of the worlds independence day when it was really an indie movie um and so then but i i kind of was like okay if we're going to do a sequel i think we can do a better balance of spending money on the shoot and not just the vfx like i'd rather have the vfx be a little bit less or lower like not as super high quality if I can do more stuff and more action and, and have a, you know, just a more balanced approach overall. And that was sort of what beyond Skyline was to me. It was like kind of reshuffling the deck a little bit where they, they spent very little on the shoot, very little on the cast, very little on everything. And then the second one we brought in, um, you know, some action stars and uh, we ended up shooting all over the world. And it's just kind of this weird miracle that, that it even happened. Yeah. Um, I will say it, it's it's so interesting hearing about that. And it makes me want to ask, because one thing that like when I first talked to you and I was like, so our whole gimmick is like they made another one and people have this kind of surprise about it. And you had said, yeah, with Skyline, people definitely have that. Yeah, no, um, I, I hear that phrase all the time. And, yeah. and I would, it would be like, I'd be getting on a plane to go make the third movie. And then like not a single Lyft driver that I'd ever met had heard of the second movie. And I was like, how am I getting paid to go to make a this? third movie when people are still like, they made another one? I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, so yes, it, I, I said that's a great title for a podcast because I Thank hear it you. all the time. Yeah, but something that we never get to ask, which I'm I'm excited to ask, is like we ask like, oh wow, they made another one. But you know, something that we're curious about usually is why, and sometimes it's hard to find out why. Um, and you're saying that you know you did have a bit of a plan when it came to doing Beyond Skyline, where like ideas of how to improve it. But like because there was a gap of of so many years, was that always the plan to go back to that, or did an opportunity just kind of present itself? Yeah, I, I I'd say. There was plans like while we were in post for Skyline, we actually met um, with, uh, let me just look them up. But yeah, we, we were, you know, Relativity really loved the movie. So we were screening it um, for them and they, they started talking to us about a sequel then. So we, Joshua Cordes, who's the co-writer of, uh, of Skyline, and we kind of, Sat, sat around and came up with a pitch that's not completely unlike Beyond Skyline. And it, it was more, it was bigger and it ended up kind of, uh, they crashed down in New York instead of Asia, which was um, the Jared and Elaine characters were a bigger part of the sequel. And, uh, and so we ended up meeting with Josh Holloway from Lost. Oh, we were, Sawyer. 
we were wow. actually going to film a scene of him at the beginning of the movie going into the subway, which is the Beyond Skyline beginning. We we're going to just have like this little coda. Because again, this is 2010 and like the Marvel thought process had already, I had already fully like invaded my mind of like, oh, we'll set him up and then he'll be in the next one. But I also think it would have been super distracting because he's, he was, he was very, very famous at the time and popular and him just show up at the beginning of this movie and he never comes back. You'd be like, what the fuck was that? Uh, you'd be waiting the whole movie for something. Um, but we did talk about it and it just ended up like, you know, our, our post schedule was so crazy that, um, you know, he, we, he, we came and we met him and he was a, a really cool dude and really game. And we pitched him what Mark was and, um, and, uh, with you know, him and Jared were, were going to kind of be like a, a Chewy Han thing. And it was, and that was more of what that uh, original version was. Right. And uh, yeah, so that ended up obviously not happening. We just go, we finished the movie and then it's like, okay, we have this treatment sitting around, but the reaction was so negative. Everyone just kind of licked their chops and moved on to other projects for the next year um, or two, I want to say, but there'd always be the occasional call from, uh, different, you know, foreign distributors or um, or foreign salespeople that would ask about part two, and I would occasionally be asked to like dust the treatment off and work on it to send to other people. And then you just wait, you know. And so I I really got involved on working on this other project, and we put a ton of time into it, and it had a bunch of producers. We went like all out at um, AFM. And I want to say this is 2013 and it crashed and burned. And we like really, you know, we had shot um, uh, a, a, a teaser for it, you know, proof of concept teaser that fully funded by hydraulics out in the desert near um, Salton Sea. And we'd done VFX on that. And we'd had a couple of big name producers and it, it was like, it, we even got a, a pretty big actress uh, attached and, uh, and then, so when that fell apart and it felt like it fell apart because I couldn't, you know, I was like the sixth producer on this movie. I just felt like I was so far away from it, but I was the most focused on it because Greg and Colin had all this other shit going on. Right. So I was like, ah, you know, it, it, if I got to get something off the ground and I just looked and I felt like beyond skyline was the one that could get made. Um, again, just cause you look at like, you know, I don't even think the, the full box office numbers were uh, reported because of China, but like with China included, this thing made 80 million worldwide. Whoa. And so I, I was like, all right, I'm going to just focus on writing this spec out. And I even kind of did a horse trade with them. There was another project that people were interested in that I had written and that I was going to write, but they wanted a bigger writer because IMAX and Warner Brothers were interested. I was like, yeah, you guys go take that, get another writer attached i'm gonna go write beyond skyline but if i write it i'd really want to direct it because i had been producing these other directors and i was getting really frustrated and it was and, your um, debut right directing yeah 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 and, and they had already they had already decided they didn't want to direct the sequel they were trying to do other things so um they, it made it it made it kind of a perfect opportunity and i just uh you know the first draft i think we finished i finished it that year 2013 other stuff came along and took priority. And in 2014, it was like, I did a pretty sizable rewrite to get the budget down and get it into a shootable place. And that's when Matthew Chouse, who ended up becoming 
kind of my lead uh, producer on the next two on Beyond and that he got involved and worked on the script with me. And um, I had at that point when I when I actually sat down to write the script was post um, Warrior and the Gray. And I had really decided that Frank was the guy that I wanted to write the movie for. And um, so at the end, when when I'd finished the script and I'd give it to them uh, and the foreign salespeople, like the foreign sales company came back and Frank was number two on their list, which was awesome because usually you have to kind of uh, push people around for this stuff because the brothers, I don't believe they were even familiar with him. And um, and then the casting director read the script and he was like, I just thought of Frank Grillo the whole time. So I was like, okay, mission accomplished. <laughs> Uh, convinced everybody to go to him first. And once, I mean, if you get the first person attached to a script that has some backing and foreign sales and that stuff, like, oh, it, it, it's, it's kind of make or break. It, yeah, can, it falls it into place from there. It kinda. definitely, it definitely gets some momentum. Um, you know, the moment you get one pass, even on the supporting roles that you, you it sucks, man, the momentum, you can feel it. Um, so when you get those yeses, um, you really have to, um, you know, seize it. And, but that also created a whole set of issues because his schedule was crazy. So we had to start shooting sooner than we were ready for. And it's, that's very tough when you're building monster suits. And yeah. you also, we also had to break shooting and reshoot like the second half of the movie. Cause he had a movie that was in the middle of it. So it was like, you guys can do half of the movie before this movie and you can do half of it after, but if you try to do it any other way, it's not going to work. So they, the, the term I remember we kept using at the time was threading the needle. And yeah. um, so it was at the end that, and that was at the end of 2014. I think we sent it to Frank probably in like August, 2014. And, um, and then it was like, Oh my God, we got to get money, got to get, get working on the suits and the suits weren't even done for when we started shooting, which the first stuff we shot was all the, um, the temple and the jungle stuff, like the locations in Indonesia, in Indonesia right? Is that where yeah. you, you shot? So that we started shooting Dece the like end of December, 2014 in Indonesia, all of the location stuff. Then we break for, for Christmas. Then we came back and we shot for another like month and a half on all of the, um, uh, the bunker and the, we called them like the catacombs and um, the backlot stuff with the temple fight. There's a lot of that, that we had to, you know, fill in that action. And, um, and yeah, so, and then we did a bunch of alien sets in Indonesia too. So we did a bunch of like the, okay. the, the corridors and the black pit. Um, they're all the very slimy, nasty stuff <laughs> we did there. And then we had to go back to LA we shot like um, we had a little bit of a break. We shot like a two weeks of green screen just with creatures and Frank. And then we broke for like a month and a half. I want to say almost two months. And when we got back, we did an LA portion of more green screen because unfortunately for me, the big silo chamber set in beyond skyline was supposed to be a practical set. Um, and we couldn't make it practically in Indonesia from the cost of like getting all the rock and roll trusses there to make it safe. They didn't have that yet. They have all that stuff now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and then, and then trying to make that the budget to make it for real in either LA or Toronto was just, it wasn't going to work. So, 
I, I still think it probably would have been, I know it would have been cheaper to just build it, but um, because, you know, the producers owned a visual effects company, they were always more in line to just put the burden on the visual effects because they had control over that and that was yeah. their money and they had to make payroll anyway. So there's, you know, certain things that you're making a movie in a slightly different way. Um, but then, yeah, so then we ended up shooting the last bits of it in LA and green screen. And then five days, I think in Toronto on the subway tunnels and the collapse tunnels, we made a collapse tunnel set there that came out great. Yeah. And, um, and that was in May of 2015. So that's how long it was just to shoot it. Then the edit is like, we finished an edit in, um, the end of 2015, and it was like almost impossible to screen because the movie had like at that point it had about 1500 VFX shots. And we, this is, this is one of those things like they didn't spend any money on previs. So it wasn't like a normal visual effects screening thing where, okay, like the first skyline, they prevised everything. And so when we would show people the end of the movie, you'd be cutting to the actors and stuff, but then you'd see like a previs of the shot over the skyscraper. I mean, over the penthouse. Right. So, so you had like a sense of what would sense be there. Yeah. Yeah. For mine, it was like fucking black <laughs> slugs that would be like, insert slug, <laughs> insert slug. And uh, it, people were just like, what the fuck is going on? And, and I was not experienced enough to, because I think the, the other problem you get in editing where you're like, you saw the first cut, so you saw how bad it was, and you're really proud of the work you've done over the last couple months. And you're like, look at this, so much better. It's the other person's like, what the fuck am I even watching? Right. Uh, so we would always, people would always like the first act, and we showed people the first act for like ever, because that was all in camera. And then once it got to the ship, it was like, what is this? Because it would go from a bunch of green screen weird shit and... Um, and like, even if you can imagine, like when Grillo, um, you know, is trying to save his son in the, the, that first scene in the ship and mm. uh, you, you don't have the aliens above them or anything. It's just it's it's really difficult to screen yeah. if you don't have that. We we, bear, we we didn't even have a ton of storyboards, to be honest with you. I, by the end, I was like storyboarding things with stick figures because we'd run out of money on our storyboard <laughs> budget. Uh, but it, it all was great directing school. Um, and then like the lesson for that, uh, for skylines is I would post viz everything with other movies. Like I would just chop up shots from other movies and so that I could screen it to people and you would just have, you'd be like, Oh, okay, well that's a shot from Armageddon. That's a shot from star Trek. But like, I get what you're, I get what you're trying to convey here. It feels and, like uh, a more complete thought because you can look at it and it's like, okay, my eyes understand what this is. It's like, I yeah, can and, and a lot of those again. rhythms of like people shaking and going through atmospheres, we we kind of inherently understand that. I think better than some of the shit I was doing and beyond anyway. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, so so that process uh, for Beyond, we finished like a version of the movie in 2016, and mm -hmm. we screened it. And it was, it was better than expected, but also like people were, it didn't have any of the Lindsay Morgan Rose stuff. And so people were kind of like really concerned that this girl was going to die. It didn't answer, um, you know, what that next step was. I didn't do any type of um, twist ending or um, 
coda to kind of tell you what the next adventure would be. I just wanted them to walk off into the sunset. They had won the day. And so there's no like like, wink ahead to skyline. So then people see it, I guess they're like, Oh, so it's over. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, yeah. So, so it came back being like, you know, the, the testing company was like, you should really think about doing a different, you know, thing that, that answers something more about Rose and, we went through a bunch of different versions. We went through a, a couple of different ideas. I even shot like a different version uh, with a different actress as like a temp thing, just kind of rehearsing something. But it wasn't really until I was like, you know, I need an act- I need someone who fits Frank's energy. And um, and I watched the first season of the One Hundred. I was I think I was just going through IMDb, and when I clicked on her, I was like, oh, that's it. Yes, she's got that like swagger, the the leather coat. And her, she has the same, like, she looks like the little girl that we shot in Indonesia who had a very unique look. I think, um, you know, her father, um, I think he, he was Indian, uh, or might've been New Zealander and his mother, mother was Australian. So she had, she was a, you know, a unique looking girl and Lindsay is, um, Irish, uh, Latina. So it was like, okay, there, there, there's something about the two of them that just clicked in my head. And then it was like, getting away from writing any type of expositional opening and making it more about like the themes and, and, and just kind of making her feel like she was in the same mold as Frank and that fixed everything. Uh, And so then we, and then of course I was like, if they're going to make me shoot one more thing in this movie, I'm going to do a star Wars thing so that I just have it. Yeah. I was like, like, I'm going into space and I'm going to have her blow up these two ships. It was a little bit of a, like, you know, if, if you're, I'm, I'm going to spend more of your money if you're going to, and, uh, and, and so we did and, and it ended up being one of my favorite shots and, it, right. and then that yeah. went right to the end. So nice. I mean, beyond skyline is such a, a sprawling movie. Like I'm curious, like what else got left on the editing room floor? Because it, it goes like to so many different places. And the, like, is, is there anything like big that got like taken out that, yeah. that you wish had stayed? Um, so, so we had, you know, we finished that version in 2016 and that, that version, I have it on my computer. It, it's without the lenses. It breathes a little bit better in places to mm-hmm. me. It, it's a little bit more like Skylines, I'd say. Skylines um, is probably breathes a little too much in places, but that's more the natural cadence of the way I think. Mm-hmm. And um, beyond Skyline, Sean Albertson came on to do the last edit and with me and he was he's very, like an older guy which is what I needed I needed someone who was like a very uh, a veteran of action but he's very much like ah oh, you got it you got it you don't need to hold on to that and I'm like no but it's a nice shot I want to see it like <laughs> like four more frames so there's there's some of that but it was I'm trying to think of anything that I there I, I wanted I mean the first version of the knife fight thing had like everything that we shot in it. And it was called um, derisively called knife porn. And uh, <laughs> so I had to take a bunch of uh, kills out of that, which that knife fight is sick as hell though. Like I, I yeah. And there's still like other good so stuff great. with Yayan killing them. And, and there, so, and there was another, there was another um, kill where eco, you know, rode, rode his blade down the spine of and it from a different angle. It was, and I put some of those on Instagram and stuff, but uh, I definitely would, would have liked to have some of that back. Um, There was two pretty big character beats that 
you know, it's so funny that they didn't make it in because you just obviously need way less than you think you do. But um, yeah, I had like like uh, Boyana Novakovic's character Audrey. It was revealed in a scene like that she was a cancer survivor, and so that was sort of this theme that like they were all these like only the people that made it were like these different survivors of some kind Mm -hmm. and that that scene it it was really just bad scheduling like we only had three takes to get it and one take from behind and um everyone was exhausted it was the last scene that we shot and it was like almost like i kind of knew that it wasn't going to make it in the moment and just had to check it off so that the bond company wasn't like you missed this scene but it was, uh, you know, one of those, it would have been nice to at least have, I think, a better version of that. That was one of those just, um, and then there was a bigger kind of almost a goodwill hunting type of story with the <laughs> Trent and um, Mark. That was, um, okay. it was like, it was like, uh, there was literally like, like Frank Grillo saying, it's not your fault to an alien and like try to hug it. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so. So there was more when when Audrey and um, Trent escaped from the silo and they were going down the silo. It's like making it feel like that was like a long time that they were going down that. This is just this huge space. And they had a scene where, you know, he talked about his mother's deaths a little bit more specifically and that he, you know, uh, wasn't able to to do anything about it. And, and he was the one who was there. Uh, it's actually weirdly similar to what Shang Chi's storyline was, which was way better. But that was—I don't know if you've seen that movie where it's like the son was there when the mom died, and the father blamed him for it. There's a okay. little bit of that kind of basic concept of what their backstory was, and then later when Audrey, when when Frank's saying like, "I've got to get out there and and get him back somehow in the catacombs," Audrey was like, her line was different. She was like, "He just." you know, all he wanted was that, you know, that for you not to blame him. And so then when Frank had his confrontation with Trent and he was choking him, killing him, it was more of like, he recognized it was him and it, the, the moment held longer. And he was like, it was my fault. It wasn't ever yours. And then they, there was a totally different thing there. But of yeah. course that like, it was even the one of the funnier outtakes that I couldn't do uh, because we had cut it and we couldn't afford the music license is that Frank had like in his, his ringer was like, um, like Rolling Stones, like, um, <laughs> like it's. Uh, I I I, I want to say it was um, Give Me Shelter. That checks then, out. Yeah, right at like, right at like the peak part of it, and he's sitting there with this Muppet choking him, and he's like emotionally <laughs> fucking <laughs> connecting with him, telling him it's not your fault, it's not your fault. And oh then all of a sudden, his, his ringer goes off, and it was like. Oh, and he just started <laughs> laughing so hard. The whole crew just started laughing so hard. I was like, okay, yeah, that, that, yeah, we could get the license for that, but that was another good one. And, uh, and all the all the blocking though, from that point on, like just, it didn't work. I, I, I couldn't figure out how to make that work. So um, him kicking Trent over and down was like a total post solution. And the shot of him doing that is me, I think. I think I just put on his outfit that's why it's all kind of like it feels like it needs another axis to cut on, but it's just like it was just a low shot of me with the green thing, and then we or, or it's either me or another kid with darker hair at the company, and we would just so we would do little inserts like that all the time, 
to uh, in post on this because we were waiting so long for the VFX. It would be like, oh, let's just get them apart right here. How about he just kicks them over? And um, there's another part where Trent is getting um, grabbed by the alien tentacle right before it rips his brain out. And there's this down angle on it, grabbing his legs and his jeans. And that's me as Trent. So we would just constantly be kind of grabbing these little looks to make things smoother um, and and make the cuts better. Uh, But yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other, I mean, those are, those are kind of actually small scenes. Like I don't think there was any like whole set taken out. There was stuff, um, you know, in concept wise originally that the, in the first movie, there's a scene where they look out the window and they say, Oh, somebody's fighting back and they're on the back of a pickup truck and they get smashed by a tanker. So the the concept was that that was going to be Trent and Mark on that pickup and that like half of their party, like, like Garcia who dies underneath the bridge, that's actually how Garcia died in the original draft. So it was more kind of connected. Um, But the problem with the first movie and doing the first act thing was that it took place over three days. And so I had those natural three days in the script, but like when you're watching it, it just made the first act feel really slow and long to keep kind of breaking the days up. And so we ended up kind of abandoning that and just making it cut like it's one night. Um, so for, you know, for a stickler of um, continuity that, that could, uh, that could mess you up. But for me, I was just kind of like, it, it, it emotionally makes enough sense. And it's not like the first movie was fucking star Wars. Like people can, <laughs> can give it a little leeway. It's not right. like, like, wait a minute. That's not what happened on Moss Eisley. It's like, no one cares. So, um, so yeah, it, it ended up working out, but there's a lot of uh, more interconnected uh, interconnectivity between the two movies originally. Yeah. It is funny saying that. Like I, I, I got to wonder if it's, it's, almost kind of freeing to to have the flexibility to be like look we can we can bend this a little bit like because it is a a franchise at this point like there's movies they're together but um i feel like there's there's got to be less pressure from you know like rabid twitter fans who are like really honing in on like every single thing like this isn't right this isn't right yeah, I mean, like, I'd, I'd say that's the understatement of the year. Like, it's like well, there's no there's no pressure, but at the same time, the downside of it is is that there's no baseline. So literally every movie, like I I wrote the fourth one this summer, and mm-hmm. like I have to explain everything in the first two minutes every time yeah. because I am not going to take for granted. You don't that, have to explain it, it to us. Yes, but most people <laughs> and like yeah, I mean that's another thing about the titling is that people the, the whole reason why like all these scream movies and halloween movies why they have the name now and they don't have the numbers is that it's a lower barrier to click you know if you see the 3 in the title you're like oh i got to go watch the other two but what if the streaming service doesn't have the other two they want you to click okay. so and, and so so it, it kind of incentivizes you to tell a complete story uh, in, in each one at least for me. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's why it's like, it's, it's, you have the freedom, but then you also feel like, man, I've got to fucking figure out another way to do, uh, you know, school is in session for two minutes. Yeah. To set everything up. Yeah. Yeah. I I did read some interviews, uh, with that you had done closer to when skylines came out where multiple interviewers though, were like, I didn't realize this is a franchise, but like it totally worked. And, they they seemed accessible and just like they were ready to get into the world and i guess like 
in franchise filmmaking that you're kind of doing when like how present is it for you i guess it sounds like it's a lot that like you have to keep it accessible in case people didn't see the other one like having yeah a, having I, that there. I feel like for me it's a lot because i and i also think you know it was a really weird sequel i mean i think both were pretty weird and then yeah um, but three is even weirder as far as like how did this get made they made another one you're like wait you're telling me that the lead isn't back and we're following the little girl, but it's like post-apocalyptic. It, it kind of reminded me um, of X-Men days of future past where like, which is, is one of my favorite of that run where all of a sudden I was like, wait, did I miss one? Was there another movie in the middle here at the beginning? Like it already opened in a post-apocalyptic setting and it had all this stuff that, um, you know, we hadn't seen in any of the other movies, but you just kind of went with it. Uh, and so, yeah, I've always liked sequels that do that too. Um, so it, it was definitely like a challenge. And then, um, you know, for part four, it's been like, okay, how do I kind of even, even part of the voiceover at the beginning of Skyline, I was trying to kind of make fun of the fact that it's very complicated because it wasn't ever <laughs> created from the ground up to be this like simple thing you know it, it wasn't it's not like stan lee peter parker beautiful elegant storytelling it was like <laughs> it was like well you know we came up with the brains getting ripped out and all of that and then it came up with you know the big reshoot of the first skyline was kind of doubling down on the immunity story with with um jared he was kind of, it was more mysterious whether he survived or not and so all of that sort of red brain, blue brain stuff came towards the end of that. And then that ends up becoming the basis of all the lore. So it's all kind of messy and making up as you go, which is, uh, to be honest, what I prefer. It's not like uh, it, it makes it all a little bit more fun and, and less feeling like it's, um, you know, so uh, calculated. Yeah. Kind of and you like can do what feels right at the time. Just yeah. be like if you're really like if this is just like it feels like natural to go in a certain way, especially because like one of the things that I think struck me the most because um, just with how like our podcast is formatted, I think we all watched Beyond Skyline first. We often end up watching like a second or a fifth. It's often like, weird like that. Yeah. So <laughs> but um, like being caught up by how out there some of the ideas were like the f I, I'll say because I watched the first Skyline too. the first brain rip is as effective in both movies because holy shit. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. You're like, whoa, these aliens yeah. are brains out. Okay. So like having those in there though, I think helps like having that extra step of like these aliens are fucking serious business helps right. like each movie feels different too, like kind of like stylistically and in terms of genre as well. Like each one is is so contained and so different. Like you've got a lot of martial arts and beyond skyline and the original one sort of like a small space. Uh, thing and then and then uh, skylines is is uh, is it's got all sorts of different things going on. Like I even noticed like a few splashes of western in there. Are you are you like experimenting with like with with sort of other genres in the, in the next one? <laughs> oh, we're, yeah. we're getting right to it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going for the jugular. <laughs> I like how yeah, you're just like okay, now give us some ex exclusive. <laughs> give info. us the deets. No, you don't have to. You don't want to. You know, I think it it a lot of it is is your 
you know, who you're collaborating with, right? It's, yeah. it's your team. Um, and it is your setting. You know, the first one is like a fucking entourage meets like, the, you know, the brain sucking <laughs> aliens. It's a very LA movie. Um, it's all about, you know, that, that, that whole vibe. Um, the, the second one is a, you know, it's a very Asian movie. It was like, we, we made it in Indonesia for the most part, uh, with a very, very diverse, uh, cast and crew. Um, and so there's a lot of handheld, I think it was also like the way I was trying to calibrate my mind's eye on like how to direct. I was very much like, you have to capture everything in like one moving shot of like a handheld shot, which is also Mm -hmm. what my DP on beyond skyline, what he was really good at. So it made sense. Like he came up as an operator on like, um, this TV show called boomtown, which was like all handheld, all the time and so he loves doing that and so yeah to be like okay we'll do that even thinking about cuts i don't think i was like great at 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 thinking through that uh on the first move on the first one i directed and so that's why so much of it is these like roving handhelds that will kind of try to capture a lot of the action all like like even as we would do it on the day we would just kind of do long takes of action instead of breaking it up into more like executable executable bite-sized bits um and then so for part three that's a european movie i mean it was it was um it, it was a belgian production designer a lot of people in the uk as both uh first ad and actors mm-hmm. and uh post and we shot it and filmed this lithuania and uh, my yeah, my DP is French, and so there's there's just a co- totally different kind of style and feel to it. And it was also that my DP on part three was really really good with the dolly, and he was not a handheld guy at all. And when he would do handheld, it was like, oh yeah, that's not your thing. But he's amazing at the dolly, and yeah. so I started. And, and and I think I'd always come up being like a low budget filmmaker to think that the dolly is like fancy. <laughs> like i don't have time for this fancy you stuff. put the camera on wheels yeah. yeah it was like like we did a bunch of dolly stuff in beyond skyline when they're in the lab um with callan mulvey's character all that stuff was dolly and it was you know kind of locked off cameras because it's all just a bunch of people in a room talking but i would do what if i was doing moving shots in beyond skyline i would think with the steady cam a lot you know and then when you're when I'm working with this DP that I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing at the dolly. Like he really uh, finds the moments. I don't even have to tell him he's going right in on that. And then I start really, you know, I was under such so much pressure on on that one. I really wanted to not go behind schedule beyond schedule or anything and get everything right. And when you start kind of really understanding that the dolly isn't fat, isn't that slow, it's actually very fast because if you set it up on the correct line and you come up with a really good shot on that first line of the dolly, um, you can jump lens sizes. You always want to double your lens size because that'll cut better. You know, you don't want to cut, you don't want to shoot something on an 80 and then be like, okay, next up is the 50. You know, you want to get down to like a 32. So say you start on a 32 because you want to start wide. The next shot you would do would be an 80. And then maybe the next shot you would do would be the 140. So you you want to kind of um, have that that double lens size to jump on your edit. So if I'm doing, you know, like 
you know, at the end of the of the movie where you have um, Lindsay and Johnny versus Alexander Siddig in that big room. So I have them kind of come out on, on their side and I shoot the big wide first. Then I get t- a little bit tighter to the medium and then I do a close up on both of their sides. That's like you don't have to move the camera and you've gotten that whole side and you've gotten, you know, four setups, not even to mention what your B camera is doing. Then you turn the camera around on, on Alexander's side and you get the same matching, you know, three setups because it's only one person and it's very, very efficient and it cuts together usually much more beautifully anyway than, than the kind of handheld jittery thing. So I, I felt like, you know, again, it's like your collaborators and I, I learned a lot on that. And I, I kind of, now when I'm looking at things and I shot list things, I think more with the dolly because I love the way that it cuts together more. Yeah. And then also, like you're saying too, like you can also choose things that play to the strengths of like the crew that you have with you, like making it so you can sort of like inform what you might do based on like how you can execute it the best way. Yeah. And oh, and to answer your question, Mitch, uh, as far as part four goes, I I can't really say yet, but it's definitely um, to me. I, it's less I'm less thinking about it as far as like a macro what this genre is and it was more just all about the characters on this one because mm-hmm. the actors are cast I know the characters really well you know I mean like you know from the from the last two movies I know all their voices I've spent months with these people so I was really kind of like less plot less uh like high concept and more like I want to play with these characters and see what happens so, that, so that's kind of where I, I uh, things were, were bouncing off of each other. It's um, it's more – I wanted to make it more a Civil War movie, if that makes sense. That's all I'll say. Interesting. <laughs> um, that's, that's a good transition point because something I wanted to ask about because you're saying you know, you've worked with a lot of these actors before. And if you look at the cast that you sort of compiled for Skylines, it's, it's wild, man that you had all this all these people in on this like it's so great like lindsey morgan as you said great like uh jonathan howard Dan- I-, I gotta ask a really selfish question really quick about this cast um of course i've actually i did a podcast about the mortal Kombat conquest tv show that stars daniel bernhardt um uh, of course you did of course i did <laughs> that normal thing that people do and so i gotta ask like what's it like working with daniel bernhardt <laughs> man that seems great he's great i mean <laughs> yeah, I, I I honestly can't recommend him uh, highly enough because he's he wants he always wants to do more, you know, and and he would show up mm-hmm. to set when it wasn't his day to shoot. To like he wanted to just watch James Cosmo because they didn't have any scenes together, um, you know. Yeah. For for like even just a tiny little thing where Trent uh, smacks him to the ground. You know, I'm like, you don't have to fall to the ground on this. And, you know, you forget he's a very accomplished stuntman as well as an actor. So he's just whipping right. himself to the ground. And I'm like, I think this works as a wonder. And he's like, no, 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 let's get the insert and just smashes <laughs> his back onto the ground. I'm committed. Yeah. And, and we ended up not using it. But, you know, he he, he did. Yeah. do. I mean, he did. I would say that's one of the things if, to get into Skylines um, that I I regret. Um, but it was. I don't know how I could have done it even in hindsight budget wise, but we had a lot more of Daniel killing aliens in the, um, right. In that first attack scene. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of it were really, really cool shots that were stylized wonders. It was just every single shot was expensive because, uh, the shadows were fully CG. So, um, and there wasn't really like 
a great story reason to have more of them. It would have just been fun and indulgent. Yeah. So, you know, when you're trying to carve this thing into the, the bare bones, um, that, that stuff, you know, unfortunately got trimmed. It wasn't like it was, you know, their previs was crazy. The, the stunt guys previs was crazy long and it had like yeah. all this amazing stuff in it. I wish I could have done some of that, but, um, I, yeah, I think I think it probably ended up the right length for story wise, but I feel like I even just like thirty seconds more of him would have been great there. Yeah, well, and you mentioned too, like obviously uh, Daniel's got such like a extensive career doing like stunt work, and I I looked at the rest of the the cast of this movie, and you still have a lot of people here that have a lot of like stunt experience, not just acting, but can kind of do do both. I doing some reading about um who we've got i have a list in front of me and i'm trying to find where i was scrolling in it but um uh charlie yoon also like does stunts i had read uh, Fong uh Zhang if, does... if you yeah if you look if you've seen charlie and and fong like kill or getting beat up in like every movie of the past yeah, the, like, the, five years the lists are like yeah. so extensive like and i was gonna say and obviously you do like a podcast about action movies now as well and it's just like having so many people around that are so like tailored to be able to help with that action stuff. Like what difference does that make to you as like, you're putting the movie together to be able to just be like, okay, I can just sort of like trust these people to go and they can do it. And it's like, they've got it sort of like in hand. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all just the, the lessons learned from, from beyond, which was, you know, beyond Scotland didn't have any martial arts. It was uh it was like a war movie. I was trying to do like, you know, apocalypse now, predator <laughs> ending. And yeah. um, when we went out to scout um, Indonesia for to shoot, uh, the producer that we met with was like, what do you think about the raid guys for this? You know, I was like, you can, you know them? Like you can, we can get the raid guys. <laughs> I didn't That's even realize sick. this was an option. <laughs> yeah. And it was 2014, like the raid two had come out that Sundance. So it was like, whoa, what are you, are you talking about? And, uh, and they were supposed to do the first iteration of Night Comes for Us was supposed to shoot that at that time, but uh, it, it fell apart. So they had a, you know, they were open in their schedule and, uh, and we were <laughs> shooting in Indonesia. So it was like, yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, going a state over because, uh, you know, it's a bunch of islands. Uh, but yeah, they came over and, and then, uh, you know, immediately sending me all this choreo and it was like, Oh, I think, you know, this is what the movie is. So we just started leaning into it more and more. And even mm -hmm. like, um, and I had, I had like a three days of just eco on set and, um, getting to work with someone who's like, I feel like he's a movie star. I still feel like, you know, uh, I still, I still feel like he's going to break out more and more. You know, I think it, uh, everyone who's everyone who knows about him, you know, believes in him and you see him in all these bit parts. And I still wish, you know, to, I still want to see him be the lead of action movies and be the yeah, hero. Yeah. hundred. I agree. hundred uh, percent. I think and, he's great. And, um, and so, you know, but just getting to work with him, like, like, you know, that, that fight with the, him and the alien in the bunker and just like, he's just right next to the monitor ready to, you know, throw himself through a wall. And I was like, well, that was fun. <laughs> you know, I'd love to do something like that again. And yeah, um, but there was no second unit on Beyond Skyline and even the Eco and those guys like they they just I think it was just such a we only had a month and it was like somewhat language barrier somewhat they had only kind of really done 
uh, stuff with their raid team and Gareth, and they all have such a comfort to each other. So they weren't kind of being like, this is how we, you should shoot it. They were just giving it to me in these like wide lock offs and be like, okay, yeah, you, you pick how you want to shoot it. And so we, you know, and that worked, but at the same time, it is very helpful when you get people that are shooting and blocking stunts all the time to give you the previs that they're like, this is how we see how it could be blocked and you can make an adjustment and do whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that, so for B- Skylines 3, it was like, okay, we're going to have like an, an action unit that runs like two weeks, like 10 days. And after we shoot the main unit action, that would be with the actors, like we'll shoot Lindsay's side of this whole fight. Um, we'll come back with the stunt double and we'll shoot over the stunt double onto the creature because it's the creatures are very slow and they fall apart and the helmets fall out and the eyes come off. And even though I love shooting them, <laughs> it's like it's a smarter production plan not to do it that way. And 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 thankfully, the second unit days would all would very much uh, a lot of them at least happened on Saturdays, so I could just come and uh, and hang out on set and work with those guys. Um, and so yeah, that that ended up I think being like a, a more efficient, smoother process. But it was all just like like I was saying, like learning from the lessons and being like, oh. I love this more than any other part of this process. Like I love working with the martial artists. I love working with stunt people. Um, Jeremy Fitzgerald who played Trent and beyond skyline. He's a stunt coordinator in his own right. And he came back for skylines. I love working with him. It's just, you know, they're just game and, and it's, it's uh, it makes, makes everything so much easier. So yeah, I don't know. That was a long answer, but that's cool. I I mean, that's why you're here, right? But no, it's super (laughs) cool. And like, like uh i still think one of my favorite things in skylines is that uh like what turns into a brief like scalpel fight with uh owens and z and then but like the way that fight initially starts and just watching those two like just go at each other oh the way it ends too with the kick through the door oh man it's so good (laughs) yeah cool that was one where it was like um i think the script was like he chokes him z runs up the side of the wall breaks it he kicks about the door. Like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, but let's make it a big fight. And they're like, okay. And then it came back and it was like even bigger, of course. And, yeah. It uh, was, it, super it cool. had more slow mo in it. And I was like, ah, you know, I, let's, let's kind of do this. But like, I, I don't think I'm going to have the time. You know, I, I knew what we were cross cutting to and I knew we were already stretching it as it is. Um, but the, the thing that I I'm not sure if I even was aware of it at the time of what ended up being such a benefit of that is that you don't notice that you're intercutting with this story that like we're really cheaping out on the effects on like you should be able to see the creature outside the spaceship climbing in but we just didn't have the money to do it so like intercutting with this really exciting well done fight kind of like it's it's a little sleight of hand you know. Like yeah. it, it, it keeps you from like thinking of the logistics of like, how the fuck are they getting in through the ship and everything <laughs> and crawling through. So um, I'm not sure how aware I was in the writing of it, but in the execution, in the edit, I was like, Oh, I became very, very thankful that we had all this great material because it definitely papered over the, you know, the fact that we didn't have like, I'd say, you know, even just like three more shots of what was happening with the creature climbing into the ship. Yeah, this might seem like like an kind of obvious question given like everything that we've kind of talked about already. But like talking about 
budget and like how that factors into what you're able to do. I, I read if I have my notes straight that all of the movies were like roughly similarly budgeted. Um, yeah, the the first one's the cheapest, but it kind of like the um, I, the thing is, is that I don't technically really know. You know, okay, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 even the ones where I'm credited as a producer, like I don't have the books. Like I'm not. Yeah. I'm. I, I get paid a fee. I I've seen seen zero back end on any of these movies from like the points or any of that type of stuff. Okay. The only real, I mean, my wife um, was in the first movie. She has like, she, she and, and my, my then newborn son, who's now, uh, yeah, like 11 is uh, they're on the, um, the airplane at the beginning and, and uh, Eric Belfort gets it. Oh, gets when he gets bag the bag for. Yeah. So she was oh, getting yeah. way more residuals off of that one line than I was. Oh, really? It. Yeah. That's crazy. So uh, until like the WGA and, and I'm not in the WGA still, but the WGA has this like foreign levies agreement um, on different countries that have agreements with them. So they'll still need to send money to different movies because of the WGA so I'll get some checks from them from Skylines, but like, um, yeah, since the 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 main the residuals and stuff now that I'm in the, I'm in the DGA uh, are obviously better for Beyond and, and Skylines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say the first one. I know the we spent there was a lot of there there it was the most money I would say spent on visual effects. Um, okay. And the visual effects are still hold up pretty well in that movie. I mean, we used some of them in the next two because they were so good. And then um, the second one I'd say is probably the most expensive, but I still don't know because the, I swear to God, it felt like we had $2 million and that was it the whole time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it never yeah. felt, it never felt like we had that much money. Like but, you were kind of stringing it together with like, okay, I yeah, guess we can do this. Like, I was like, do they just have $2 million that they're just like sending from one bank account to the next? And that's how we're going to do this. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that one had definitely the biggest production and obviously doing, you know, post the movie took two and a half years to make. So that one was, is definitely the, the biggest budget sprawling production. And, you know, frankly, because you know, the, the initial, plan was obviously aiming for a theatrical release. Um, I don't think we'll ever get bigger than that one. I think that one's going to be, you know, that's, that's the big, where we, we were aiming really high. And then once we kind of knew where we were going to end up, it didn't make as much sense to like spend as much money on the visual effects. And even though I still right. think it, again, it, it looks really good for what it is. It looks, I mean, it's probably one of the best looking DTV movies ever made as far as visual effects go, but mm. um, it's still, I'd say the first one's visual effects are, are I, I put it at number one. And then the third one, it was like, okay, now we know what this is um, that we're in this, you know, DTV uh, streaming, you know, ironically, the whole reason we got to make the third one was because of physical media, because vertical, our distributor of beyond skyline makes DVDs and Blu-rays and, they have a, a really good deal with Walmart and uh, B 
beyond skyline like i fought them they 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 wanted to just put a big fucking alien on front of a burning city and that was what they wanted i'm like you don't want to put you know frank and eco and boyana right like, no, no no just give us the big fucking alien and uh <laughs> and so that, that made like a lot of money it like it, it it sold out and they did a second pressing of the dvd for walmart and wow. that's what was like the difference of getting the third one made so the third one i'd say is I'd say overall is probably the cheapest, um, but that's just from like a feeling I have because I can talk to diff these different producers at different times and the words that they'll say about gross and then rebates and all that, it's all a little nebulous to me. Yeah, it kind of, and, it's like kind of like just jargony, like, okay, I guess we're talking about money, but like, <sighs> man, yeah. I don't know. I, I wish I were better at it, to be honest. I was even on a call this morning talking about a project and like, and they start talking about rebates and I'm like, just my, I just start going to Twitter. I'm like, this is stupid. You should learn this, but I can't. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm so bad when it comes to to money and finances. Uh, I feel like I'd be um, a much wealthier person if I actually could somehow. Pay attention <laughs> to that, but, uh, well, I will say, uh, especially if in the event that Skylines was the cheapest, it certainly doesn't look it. And like part of what you were talking about earlier too is like a lot of it's like being practicality or like practical sets and practically like having stuff there, like. Was that a priority? Like, not necessarily in terms of unitary way, but like, even if it were, I don't know what, I don't know like what the price difference is. I'm not in the industry, so I don't know like what it is like VFX versus like doing it practically. But like, all the practical stuff looks really good. Like, I really like the sets and skylines. I think they do a really good job. Yeah, I mean, I, I like some. I like some of them. <laughs> I, I don't love. <laughs> I don't love all the sets. Um, yeah, but you know, I don't love all the sets in either movie. Um, for for the alien ship stuff, there's there's stuff that still bothers me about the second one. I remember the third one, the guys came in and they were like, they pitched me, they're like, we're gonna do the big latex just like you had in the second one. And I was like, okay, the problem is I fucking hated the latex in the second one. They're like, oh, <laughs> sorry. I was like, yeah, it just like I got sold on a bill of goods that this latex black pit wall was gonna have all this like hyper detail, like almost like a superhero suit. You know, they were like, oh, we're gonna put in okay. all these rivets and all this and they they gave me like you know a strip the size of a, a shoebox of what, what that was going to look like like oh this is what it'll look like and i was like oh that looks so cool because it almost felt like a combination of the detail work they can do on styrofoam but they were going to do it on latex and then you know once they got it they were just like oh that's going to take way too long and so it just looked like this big condom on the wall for <laughs> And, and and they were like, and my DP was like, it's cool. We'll shoot lights in from behind, but the lights from behind it just made it look like a stage show to me. So I was, I was okay, not happy yeah. with that. I was not happy with that um, set in part two. And then in part three, it was kind of like, I, I it was like anything to avoid um, being in the situation in, in part uh, two, where we had so much green screen, you know, there's just a lot more green screen in part two. And so um, I would be like, even, you know, like, like the bridge was like half a set and I'd just be like, just grab those things from the other set and slap them on the side of that. And, okay. and, and just cause I don't want to have it to be like every single shot of this cockpit is going to be a green screen from behind. Like it's, it will never be able to, to afford this movie. Cause I'd been through that before. And, right. uh, and so there's stuff like that where it's like, I, you, you just have to practically try to get as much in camera as you can. Cause you know, the other angle has to be green screen because they're looking out of a spaceship. 
So I needed it to be like one way. And a lot of that stuff is like, it's straight up just Chernobyl's old sets because Chernobyl shot there before. And so oh, really? they just, they had all these wow. torn up sets in the basement of the studio and they're like, yeah, have at it. So we just, it's like, it's got a weird like Soviet aesthetic, which is not like, <laughs> it totally art- does. It's yeah, not like- my artistic intention at all, but it was just like, <laughs> Hey, it's, it's indie filmmaking, you know, like, and, and at the end of the day, I liked it cause it didn't feel like, you know, I think if I had been left to my own devices, I probably would have gone probably something more boring, like like the Apple aesthetic, because that's just what's in our brain, and that's right. how so many people do. So I ended up I ended up liking uh, parts of that, but it is yeah. still like it's not like oh in my mind's eye did I think they were going to be in a you know a 1986 uh, Soviet reactor? No, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, because yeah. and like I I can picture like they're like some things that look like computer modules that have like yellowish like light screens that look like the kind of lights you might see in like a ceiling in like a very like kind of like hallway or something but like, i actually thought that all came together because like it sort of gives it a very like it feels like lived in more which i like um if it's gonna feel that way like it's got like like in the way that like alien feels like lived in and like kind of run down a bit like truckers in space like that, truckers in space like i yeah. like that it looks that way um when it comes to like working with effects because really what i'm what i'm discovering here is that it sounds like effect shots are crazy expensive like so is it also just like it, it's easier it's the, to get it it's the repetitiveness of them when you think about it because you're you're editing so like it, it it really sucks to pay for a reaction shot and so that's why i never you know because like a reaction shot is is kind of your bedrock of a scene you know so if i was mm. if i was paying for every time i went to Lindsay's face as she's looking out of the cockpit man that that can really kill you but if if you're going back the other direction yeah that's gonna obviously we have to pay for all of that that mm. makes sense so it's it, it it's just those things where you realize that you're like what this is a simple scene it's just her looking out the window but then uh, we we set up that the, the there's going to be a hologram in the middle of that, and it was like, well, now we have to figure out a way to turn the hologram off because we got to save three shots. So yeah, in my <laughs> in the world where I'm in, that stuff matters. I I think in the in the bigger budget world, like they just know that it's going to take that many shots, and it, that sort of is what it is. But there's always like you know your first cut, and then you have your come to Jesus cut. Where you have to trim a bunch of stuff out and blow in on shots. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why shooting with the red has been good for me because you know, like you'll just get like, oh my god, we just have the little bit of a uh, we're seeing like the the fucking alien sock, you know, that we're seeing Jeremy's <laughs> sock coming out of the leg in just the yeah. corner of this frame. So we're gonna have to do a blow in. So I do like we always do like a blow in pass, and that cuts about like you know twenty shots out. And you just kind of keep going through. It's almost like um, if you're in screenwriting where you're like, I got to trim a page or two from the script. And you kind of go through and you take just little bits of lines and you consolidate things. They call it script Tetris. And then it's just like, oh, there's five yeah. pages out of this now. And so you kind of have to do that with the visual effects too. Once you have you know, feel like you like the story and in the edit and everyone's happy with things are. And that's like, okay, how do we tell it with less shots? Yeah, like once the fundamentals are there, then like not necessarily like a, I guess it is kind of a cost saving measure then, but it's like then you're just like, how can we, yeah, to to the press it into a like, better version. Yeah, do the do do the exercise and see if it works with the less shots and see how far you're willing to compromise because there's going to be something else down the line that you're going to want 
And if you're going to be a dick here, it's not going to work. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's always like this weird little thing in your head. And, um, and, and then there'll be a place where you're just like, it just can't, I'm sorry. And um, that's, what's been great about working with uh, Matthew Chaus in the last two movies is that he, he, he'll push it up until the point, And then he, he does, he wants to be proud of the movie too. So there's not that mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, you know, once the edit doesn't work, it's, we're not going to go farther than that, you know? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. It's it's so interesting because like, I, I don't think any of us here have like a ton of filmmaking experience ourselves. So I feel like there's just so many things that I guess you don't consider, and I feel like those must get exacerbated more when you're on like a like when you're trying to get your movie made, and there are limitations like that that make you have to think a bit harder about it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, so much, so much of it is is more practically like problem solving based than um, than people like to think, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's also sort of what I like to tell people. I kind of, I kind of maybe like telling people that too much because, you know, some <laughs> of the interpretations of what people, oh, it's this and it's that, and it's like, well, it's really because the, you know, the the alien can't really move so i have to move the camera around him and i was like so that's why i'm spinning the camera all around him because it makes it feel like he's moving it makes it feel like he's more alive but the guy's literally standing on apple boxes so that so if if we're filming it just from a a wide it's not going to be that dynamic you know so a lot of it is um you know the inspiration but it's also the problem solving yeah Yeah, totally and when you're getting down to it or when you're starting to get in there, like, I, I guess I'm curious because um, obviously these are all uh, genre movies. Like we talked one way or another that like the genre kind of changes a bit uh, between the few of them. But like what kind of things were influencing you as you were making these movies? Like what was sticking out as like stuff that you were watching or stuff that you were reading or hearing that was like giving kind of... Um, some ideas that you then kind of like were able to carry over or have like a spark of an idea. Uh, yeah. So the first one, the first skyline is definitely lost, which explains the opening and sort right. of like twist ending that. stuff. It's very, it, yeah. I was watching a ton of lost at the time. And, and, um, and I think it's very much like, uh, and it, it also Cloverfield, I guess would, would have been, even though uh, I didn't mm-hmm. think so at the time, I think looking back and um, and yeah, just kind of um, obviously uh, Independence Day and um, War of the Worlds. And I think it's funny because War of the Worlds is definitely a lot of the second movie too um, with the father and son dynamic. And mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things was like in War of the Worlds – the son leaves and everyone kind of complained about the ending that he just showed up. And I was kind of like one of those things where I was like, what if we had intercut to the son and we had seen his whole story? And so that was a little bit of like what the whole Trent thing was. It was like, you're getting to see both sides of him and you'll see them come together. And that'd be, that's an interesting way to go. But that was more like once I was in the process of writing it and watching similar movies, but there was just something about um, when we were finishing Skyline and they asked about a sequel, I just thought it would be really cool to see someone go into the subway as the lights came down 
just to be like, oh, they just missed it. You know, I just thought that was such a great way to get in. Yeah. Um, and so then it was figuring out everything else from there. But that was that was kind of the hook for all of Beyond Skyline. And um, and yeah, I mean, that was I, I'd say Predator, um, Temple of Doom. There's a lot of a lot of kind of adventure aspects to that story. And I believe it or not. Yeah, obviously, Apocalypse Now was in the is <laughs> one of my favorite movies. So there was a little bit of that, too. Um, yeah. And then. Skylines is like, so to, to the Skylines was like, I didn't think that movie was going to happen. And it was sort of like, I had just done the reshoot with Lindsay where we came up with this other idea. And that was, I had such a great time with her that I thought, oh, that I can kind of see a movie that, that makes sense. Uh, I wonder what that would be. And I, and I was thinking about it. And then I think it was XYZ um, films was like, you know, we should have to do a treatment for part three because we're taking, you know, now that you guys have finished Beyond Skyline, what would that be? Let's take it to, to Cannes that year, 2017. So I wrote something for like a month and it, and I knew that, you know, I was kind of writing this thing for an audience of two, which were Greg and Colin Strauss to like pay me to write it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I knew that they were huge Aliens fans and I knew that they were kind of like, you know, the Beyond Skyline had been, uh, it had been a process, you know? So I was like, yeah, I, I, I felt like it was going to up my chances of getting that movie, getting just the gig to write it, just getting paid to write mm-hmm. and continuing to work with them. If I had like an aliens type adventure, because I also knew that they were like, you know, I didn't know how sold they were on Rose and Trent, you know, like they, they weren't as like invested in that stuff as I was. Um, right. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to just try to like really hit to their pleasure centers. Um, and I wrote like a very aliens inspired movie because I knew that they'd always wanted to do one of those from aliens versus predator. Um, so that was a, you know, unabashed, like that was the idea. I, I, I felt like that gave it the best chance to get made and uh, lo and behold it did. Um, so yeah. That, I, and then, it was more just like, okay, that's a little bit of, that's like the framework. And then some weird stuff started happening where there was like totally unintended things from aliens that connected. Like, you know, we had set up in the first movie that there are creatures inside those big alien tankers. And so I was like, even, or even in some of the early drafts of the second movie, I was trying to get people inside to pilot it and uh, it didn't work. It felt too soon it felt like I could get Trent inside, but I couldn't get a person inside. It, it, it was, it was jumping the right. shark too much on a movie that jumps the shark like every four pages. So, um, <laughs> so, I, so then when I got that, it, I was like, well, now Rose is set up to have all this alien power. She's got to get into a tanker at the end of this. Uh, and that's one of the things that it got cut in the script phase, but I did have a big Kaiju battle between the matriarch had this crazy tanker versus Rose's tanker mm-hmm. as the planet, got destroyed that was a that was a a fun part in the script but it was like you know nice try right cut right okay you should you um, shot yeah. that sequence on location right like the that whole sort of fight well obviously not yes. like, like the like the kaiju but i imagine wasn't with like yeah but that was that like difficult to get like authority to do that because that's like a pretty old oh, temple, oh, right? oh yeah i don't know i was talking about um in Skylines, I had one on oh. the alien planet that got just, I had a second kaiju battle. I was trying to outdo myself, trying to go secret Sorry. mode. And they said that was one of the first things that got cut. 
And, uh, and so we ended up not having a Kaiju battle, but what, just to, to wrap up and I'll answer that question was, you know, we ended up, so Rose pilots a tanker in the third one and people would be like, and of course he has Rose getting into her power loader from aliens. And I was like, right. Oh, that, that was totally, you know, an accidental parallel thing. But of course I, I was like, let's just lean into it um, and have her say the Bishop line when she gets in it. Um, yeah. Like but, if we're already uh, here, like, we're already here, like some of the stuff's just lining up. Let's just go for it. And then, you know, lean in and, and have some fun. But yes, to get the, to transition to beyond skyline, to get the temple at the end was incredibly difficult. And we, um, we're not supposed to film any type of war type stuff there. Um, and we did not really, it's, uh, most of that, all of the fighting stuff is on the back lot. It was like, then like the last day they said, okay, on this other temple, there's two that we are combining into, into right. one to make it look like it was bigger. Um, the big main one, Parambanan, we could kind of just walk through. We weren't really allowed to do much interaction to it. And then the second one on the last day, they're like, eh, okay, you can do a war scene. <laughs> so, so we got, we, we like got to do that like at lunch, which is yeah. like, okay, let's have everybody get killed by aliens. Okay, um, everybody quick war. So, everybody just come on. All right. yeah. When I'm done my sandwich, this war had better be over. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. And they, they were, um, you know, they were like one rule, you can't destroy the temples. And like in the script, the alien comes out and knocks the temple over onto people. And I was like, uh, okay. But you know, I've, I've gone back to visit Indonesia since and I've, I've, no one's harassed me about it. So I think that, I think they actually <laughs> really liked the movie. Um, every time it plays in Indonesia, for some reason, CNN writes it up and Indonesia CNN is like beyond skylines playing tonight. Uh, and so it, it That's still plays so there all the time. Cool. That's wild. And uh, I, my, my son asked me the other day, like, does, do people ever recognize you or anything from your movies? Cause he's like, just now at 11 being like, what's going on? What do you do? And I was like, no, no one ever does. The only time I've ever felt slightly famous in my life was staying at a hotel when I was directing eco wise and the people would be like, you direct eco. And they would take, want to take pictures of me. That was it. It was like, it was a week. In December of 2014, where people were like, if you were directing Eco, you must be somebody. And what so a week I, it was. Yeah, so that's like, I love I love going into Indonesia. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the only place where, you know, people really get excited about that stuff. Well, yeah. then what you've got to do, Liam, uh, two birds with one stone with Skylines 4, you have to show up on screen and give yourself one line. And that way, you'll be famous outside, and you can also uh, get more of those residuals that you were talking about that your wife has from the original. <laughs> I, I even I had a small role in the first one as like the guy who works the front desk next to David Zayas, and I, I look so stupid on camera. I would never do that again. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, that role got cut. Um, but it was so painful seeing myself. Like, and, and, and David Zayas is such, such a great guy. He was so generous and he's like, he was like trying to give me things to think about. And I was like, this is not, I'm not, I'm not good at, this is going to get cut. And <laughs> this is not um, where I'm thriving. Yeah. But I really like playing the aliens. Um, and so I've gotten to be in the suits and uh, like I said, do little action shots where I'm the different characters. Uh, I did all of like Trent's voices in this one. Uh, I'll do the first track and do it all. And then the sound guys will make it sound competent. But um 
Yeah, I, 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 I definitely identify with Trent the most. He's my character. He's like my stand-in. Um, and right. so that's the guy that I like kind of feel like the performance is like half Jeremy and half me because I have to do all of it in post, um, you know, afterwards. Yeah. And that, that, that character, there's some fun with like the one liners and kind of the, like, uh, the like joke lines that I like a lot. There's uh, actually, yeah, I really like, uh, that f- the first time where Rose and Trent are together <laughs> in their this room and it's just like getting that sibling dynamic in, but just like with exactly the kind of things you'd kind of expect. Like if you're, if you're ribbing your sibling, like you're getting that, that. Lindsay. Really uh, yeah. I, I, that's one of my favorite scenes. It was one of my favorite scenes to do. And I, and she did such a great job on it. And even in, in the script then, like I would write the scenes with Trent's lines and then I would delete them. And it just, because just for actors reading it, like I just, it felt like a different genre when he was talking uh, on the page. And so I was always like nervous about it. And, uh, and I would, I'd be like, do you want to see the scene with his lines? And she's like, no, 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 I don't. Uh, And so she, but her, the way she like regarded him and really, you know, looked at his face, like she loved him. uh, That was when I was like, okay, we we have a movie, like this is going to work. Yeah, Um, totally. So it really, yeah, that, that was a, that was a pleasure to, to do. And, 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 and and even in the different little ad libs that her and um, her, her friend, um, oh my God, I'm blanking right now. Uh, But they, they came up with the, like, I've got thumbs line and and little stuff like that. Even why are they always wet? Yeah, The wet Um, hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That that stuff was great. Um, You guys talk while I try to find, uh, the her name and i don't sound like such a no joke. worries yeah mm-hmm. no we we can absolutely keep going but, you know i really like there's a, all of there's this. another uh, oh sorry there's another line of dialogue i had a question about it's delivered by james cosmo who i'm like a huge fan of i'm, I'm wildly jealous that you <laughs> that you've like worked with this man um it's but so he, bizarre to me yeah, too yeah but but he says uh if they move kill him which of course like reminds me of like the wild bunch Were you, was that like a deliberate reference yeah. to that movie it was his he was like because if you notice like there's already another one-liner afterwards or before yeah. so it already it didn't really he was like i want to do the line like the, the wild bunch <laughs> like, and he goes, line. Yeah. yeah and he goes he just is like and, and, he, and he's like what if i said if they move kill him and what are you gonna say no you're like yeah of course yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah, uh, and it was badass in 1968 or 69, and it's still good now. <laughs> it's still good. Um, there's another one, like, um, and, and Rona did the same thing to me. She came up, like, once they got the movie, I think there's there's always, like, a little bit of a feeling up period because I'm a, I, 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 you know, you want to be yourself, but you also don't want to be, like, a complete goofball. But yeah. Like you gotta I feel I, out the tone, right? Like Yeah, it's the tone. I'm like, I, I'm always laughing and people are like, is this a comedy? I'm like, no, but it's not a hundred percent serious either. So you you kind of have to figure that out where it is. And they all they all get there, but I always feel like that's the first like even when they deliver like a really great performance, that was like I think in my mistake in Beyond Skyline is that always just be like a puppy dog with my tongue wagging out of my mouth, like oh, it's so great. <laughs> and now and like by the third one, I, I would just like hold my hand over my mouth and like keep it to myself. And then I would talk to them afterwards, and they were like, oh, you like it that way? Yeah, okay, I get it. So then I started getting like Rhoda started understanding 
the wavelength, it would be like, what if I say, uh, you know, brace yourselves. We're not in Kansas anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> absolutely, you know, go for it. And then so she, so she pitched me that she had lived that. And then, you know, afterwards we had shot the one where she kills the one in the tent and there was no line. And she was like, have you got anything for me? And I was like, I actually did write a one-liner, but I was too embarrassed and I deleted it from the set, from the script. And she's like, give it to me. And I was like, uh, you know, um, no respect for science. And she's just like, you know, gave me a smile. I was like, that's a Roger Moore line. I can do that in my sleep. And she, you know, <laughs> just did it and great. You know, so it, it is it is fun to see um, jo- Jonathan Howard is the other one who like he kind of – I'd say almost more than any actor of any of the movies, like kind of completely understood the tone um, from the beginning with me where he was like, it's, he's always playing it serious, but there's a little bit of levity. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I also just think it comes through that like everybody's clearly having a really good time making it, which I think goes a long way. Like you can sort of like feel it as you're watching it that like everybody is like, gets what gets it. And is like enjoying themselves. Like you say, it's like, it's not a, it's not a joke. Like, it's not like we're not making fun of it, but like everybody gets it. And that comes through, I think. Yes. Yes. And I think that was, that, that, that was also the learning curve for me of like trying to explain that nuance from the second movie to the third. And it's like, if, if we go a hundred percent self-serious, this thing doesn't work. You know, we Mm -hmm. have to have more fun and, um, and so, yeah, that, that is, um, that, that's where I feel like the, the sweet spot is. Um, and then, and, you know, hopefully if there, if there is a part four, there's even a little bit more of that. Like I said, it's very just character based and you, I feel like I've, I've set these, uh, these characters up now and you just like to, I just like to hang out with them. Yeah. I'd be stoked to see a part four. I'd be very excited. I think you've, you've got us in the corner for that for sure. So oh, I want I got, I got, the, um, Lindsay's, uh, friend, um, was Renee Lovett who was on set with us. Um, I mean, she was technically her assistant, but they're really just best friends. And she is a, a really smart, um, uh, comedian and writer. And so she would, uh, always come in loaded for bear with like two or three jokes that, uh, you know, we could try out in every scene. So, um, yeah, she, she oh, that's perfect. Her and Lindsay definitely made that, um, that first scene way better than what I did. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, it is, it's also nice. Like, I love that. It's just like, Oh yeah, that's just her friend. And we've just hired them on. And it's like, that's great. Like, let's just get everybody in here. Let's just have a good time. Well, it's like, thing. there's always in the budget, usually for the lead, there's budget for, you know, like an assistant. And, yeah. um, and it was just, Lindsay's like, Oh, I'm going to bring my, my friend who very smart of her to bring a friend that was also, you know, like a, a really good actor or scene totally. partner. And so they would, um, you know, rehearse and, and go through everything. And, and, uh, and, and it became a good ally for me. Cause it's like, you want your all, you know, it's a, every movie that you make with your lead. It's a very, you know, odd relationship. And you have to kind of really put a lot of focus in managing them in different ways. That is, I think one of the things of like, I have four kids, which people are always a little um, taken aback by, but I think having kids and having a marriage, it's all that stuff. Those are the same skills you need to have when you're working with your cast and crew. Um, It's definitely like, 
you know, you, you want to be, obviously it's great. Everybody be friends, but it's, it's like, it's more work than just you hanging out with your buddies. You know what I mean? Right. You have, yeah, you yeah. have to like, make sure there's structure that everybody in there and there's a each goal. other. Exactly. And, um, and, and I, and that was early on with Lindsay. I was just like, you know, you, you can say like, if you don't like things, like you should say this because coming from an ensemble TV show to like, you're the lead of this movie. And so uh, that it just tried to really empower her, which helped because there's stuff that she knows about obviously herself. There's another thing I'd say about like Rona Mitra has been Rona Mitra for a very long time. She knows what right. she's good at. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me the best, how to get the best stuff out of you. And then, you know, for Lindsay, it'd be like, she definitely helped a lot with the, her look and the hair and the makeup. And it's part of those things where you have to keep evolving as a, as a me as like a straight dude to be like, what's the new hairstyle? I was not, I was not hip to it. And, uh, and so, you know, there was an idea originally where Lindsay was like, when she used all of her powers, it was aging her. So her hair was going to like age to gray and white. And we did a makeup test for it. And I was like, yeah, I could, I could see this working within the shot. Um, And she was just like, not feeling it, dude. I look like a caveman. And I was like, okay, uh, back to the drawing board. And we, we kind of then made it a joke that like when she comes back uh, from the alien salon, <laughs> that he's just like, wow, you look great. You know, cause her hair is all like been braided and she looks fantastic. Yeah. So, again, just lean into it because you know, this audience, like her, her audience wants to see her look great. They don't want to see her look like, you know, all fucked up. Uh, we can do a little bit of that, but like, it's got to have a little bit of, um, it's not so much sexiness, but it's like, it's like aesthetic, you know, like se- a sex, a sexy aesthetic is, is, a, it's, it's a weird term, but it's like, I thought the same way with Frank. I was like, it's, it's, I want him to look good. You know, yeah. it's like, yes, he's dirty and he's, he's got blood on him, but I want, but there's him to a way to like, do that. That's like still you know. sexy. Same, right. same as Rona, you know, it's like you, you still, same as Daniel, you still want them to like, um, and it's not for every movie, but for whatever reason, I feel like that works within these. It's a little bit of, like you were saying, that weird tone of like, well, if it's super realistic, people kind of like look like shit. And that's the point. If you're going like full, like children of men, but we're not there. So like, let's have them get bloody and gust up, but they're still like, look like, a, you know, like that 80s, 90s action thing where like Arnold still looks really fucking good, even though he's been in the jungle for a month, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Just given the time, I know that like we're a little down to crunch time, but actually I'll, I know this has been very scattershot and thank you for just sort of fielding it all and just being like down for whatever. It's been a little bit all over the place, but I did have one other thing. One last thing that I wanted to get, which is just that on this show, we are always in the business of finding new uh, franchises to try out. And we were curious if you had any series or franchise or whatever that you think deserves people digging into it a little bit more that we should check out in the future if anything comes to mind. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's a, you know, I, we mentioned I have a new podcast that I do with um, uh, the immortal Vice Fictus and uh, and and Michael Scott, and uh, it's called Action for Everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be the Atkins Undisputed podcast, but now we're kind of uh, branching out, and that's going to be under the same feed. But um, Vice really recommended this really, really cool 
um, Korean, I think it was Korean. I should know. Maybe it's Japanese. Yeah, I think it's Japanese. Um, yeah, it's Japanese uh, franchise called uh, The Fable. And they're on Netflix right now. Mm, okay. And there's a, so there's two different movies. And it's a, it's a really fun tone of like he's presented as the greatest hitman ever. He kills everybody like in mathematically perfect headshots, uh, but things get too hot. And now he has to spend a year as a normal person and he's not allowed to kill everyone, even though he gets like dropped right into the <laughs> middle of, uh, you know, a Yakuza crime story. That's a great so, concept. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a great and it's got a great sense of humor. Um, and so I haven't seen part two yet, but part one is awesome and they're both on Netflix. And so, yeah, I would say check those out. Yeah, we'll totally check that out. And also, like you said, everybody who checks this out should go listen to action for everyone. We've been checking it out. We will link it in the description of this episode. People can go find it. Um, but yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up for now. But yeah, thank you so much for, you know, being so generous with your time and all the, everything that's gone into making these movies. We were really excited to find them and it was great to have you come on you're welcome back whenever you want if you feel like doing that but yeah it's been really great thank you so much oh thank you yeah it was a pleasure uh thanks guys um i i know i i tend to to ramble on very long but um i that's I why do... you're here we are here for long answers <laughs> we're here for rambling <laughs> i i obviously do enjoy talking about these movies and it had been a while since i i i'd done one and um you know when the first when skylines came on to like netflix i i watched it over and over again but it's been a while um but yeah, I still really love uh, I still really love those movies. So um, I'm I'm always happy to talk to them and, and uh, great to meet you guys and, and wish you the best of luck on the pod. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, thank you so much. It's been really great. And now we're gonna do a really clunky segue where I'm gonna ask the other two if they have anything they want to plug before we get out of here. So, uh, Mitch, do you have anything you'd like to plug? There he goes. <laughs> I've always wondered how this plays to someone who's never seen him do it before, which is just get up and leave. But I'm sure I'm sure it's fine. And uh, then uh, Liam, our, our Liam, they made another one. Liam, do you have anything you'd like to play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you guys can find my film writing alter ego Graham the Haunted Marshmallow on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And uh, since this is a very special episode, I'll also mention you can find my music on YouTube and on streaming services under uh, the name Just Me in the House by Myself, which is sort of a synonym <laughs> for Home Alone. And uh, you can also find my band under the name Guest Room Status, which which is sort of a, could be a synonym for Home Alone, I guess. Sure. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to the other podcast I do, where as mentioned, we did start by rewatching the entirety of Mortal Kombat Conquest. It's called MK Podquest. That's at mkpodquest.com. Uh, we're getting into, I think, Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 2 coming up is what we're doing, so you can watch out for that. But uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and anything else you'd like. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Liam, thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, yeah. And uh, with that all out of the way, we'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one? <laughs>